Well, I don't doubt that Iran is responsible for this. The president of Iran, Rouhani, said after President Trump scuttled the Iran deal and pulled out of it and began to slap sanctions back, very heavy sanctions on Iran, bringing Iranian oil exports down from somewhere around 2 million barrels a day to maybe 200,000 barrels a day. Iran said, the, the president said, we're not gonna allow this to stand. If, if, I, if, if Iran cannot export oil from the Persian Gulf, nobody's gonna export oil from the Persian Gulf. And that meant Saudi Arabia and America's allies. Welcome to the Stock Podcast, the only investing podcast where you get to hear interviews with public company CEOs and CFOs. I'm Nate Abercrombie, the host of the podcast. And this is one of those episodes where you don't get to hear an interview with a CEO or a CFO, but that doesn't mean that this interview is any less valuable. I'm super honored to have Dr. Joshua Landis back on the program to talk about the recent developments in the Middle East. Now, if you haven't listened to part one of this really short series, I highly encourage you to do so. In the first part of this series, I talked to Mike Rothman, so that's episode 38, and Mike describes some of the important dynamics within the global oil market. So we're talking about oil supply, demand, and, well, an extremely important aspect of oil markets, which is spare capacity. It's a really interesting conversation, and this conversation with Dr. Landis is highly complimentary, because in it, we talk about the geopolitical backdrop and some of the really important reasons why we saw what we saw back on September 14th when at least 10 drones were flown into the largest oil processing facility in the world. And that's the Abcake Processing Facility in Saudi Arabia. Mike Rothman described Abcake as one of the most important pieces of real estate that you've never really heard of. And in this episode, you get to hear Dr. Landis describe the significance of Abcake and, well, the significance of the oil industry for Saudi Arabia and how that fits into the geopolitical puzzle that is the Middle East, because it really is a puzzle. All right, I'll stop there. Let's get to the interview with Dr. Joshua Landis, the director of the Center for Middle East Studies at the University of Oklahoma. Dr. Landis, it's a real pleasure to have you back on the program. Thank you very much for taking the time. Well, Nate, it's a real pleasure, and thanks for asking me on. So with respect to Saudi Arabia and the recent attack on the processing facility, I interviewed someone yesterday to talk about things from an oil market perspective, and I really wanted to have you on the program to talk about things from a geopolitical perspective. And I, I think the best way to start this out is just to get your take on, well, have you explain who Saudi Arabia's enemies are in the region and just the full gamut of who could possibly re be responsible for the attack that happened on September 14th. Sure. Well, I don't doubt that Iran is responsible for this. The president of Iran, Rouhani, said after President Trump scuttled the Iran deal and pulled out of it and began to slap sanctions back, very heavy sanctions on Iran, bringing Iranian oil exports down from somewhere around 2 million barrels a day to maybe 200,000 barrels a day. Iran said, the, the, the president said, we're not gonna allow this to stand. If, if, I, if, if Iran cannot export oil 
from the Persian Gulf, nobody's going to export oil from the Persian Gulf. And that meant Saudi Arabia and America's allies. So he's making good on this threat because the demands that the president, I mean, if you look at it from Iran's point of view, which is worth doing for a, a few seconds, the United States has asked Iran for 13 things in order to lift sanctions, which is almost tantamount to regime change because they've demanded not only that Iran come back and give up permanently any refinement of nuclear fuels, but they've also asked Iran to stop uh, testing and developing its missile technology. They've asked Iran to withdraw from the Middle East, from places like Syria, Iraq, Yemen, stop supporting Hezbollah in Lebanon, all things which Iran has been developing and alliances Iran has been developing to have regional clout and which Iran sees as fundamental to its national security. Uh, Iran's not going to do that. So Iran sees these demands as tantamount to regime change and suspects that that's what re America really wants. And, and people like Bolton and others who of course are no longer in power, but they articulated a very clear line of wanting to uh, carry out regime change. So Iran believes that if it caves and begins to make deep concessions to the United States, they'll never be enough. And they'll just be more, the, America will raise the bar and Iran will silently uh, begin to starve to death. And that there will be domestic problems because the economy is in shambles. The inflation has been terrible. The, you know, everything has gone from bad to worse. So they believe they have to escalate. And that's what they've articulated very clearly, uh, that they are going to escalate and they don't know where this is going to lead. But if America wants to get into a war, they're willing to see it and go for a war. And of course, that's going to be a lose-lose situation. But they believe that their chances of success are better through escalation because they're gambling that President Trump will not want to go to war, that he will actually stand by his campaign promises, which are that Middle Eastern wars are stupid and America has been engaged in too many and he promised to get America out of stupid Middle Eastern wars. And so that's what they're gambling on. Do you think it's a smart gamble from your perspective, given the historical context and who knows? I mean, nobody can predict what Trump is going to do, but... And you can't predict what Saudi Arabia is going to do. But I do. I do believe it is. It's, it's probably the smart gamble. Why? One is that Saudi Arabia is actually quite weak. Even though they have F-16s and F-15s, they have America's good technology with AWAC planes and American support, they could clearly bomb Iran. Iran doesn't really have an air force. Uh, they've got missile technology, which they've developed in order to replace an air force and to make up for this weakness, but they can't buy planes from the United States. Um, th this is a weakness of Iran's. But still, Iran is a major country of close to 90 million people. It's got a sophisticated middle class, and we've seen them develop this new technology of all kinds. Saudi Arabia is not that kind of a country. It's got a much smaller population. It's about 30 million people, and a lot of those are foreign workers. So, and Saudis are not known for their work ethic, for developing high expertise, for their universities, for any of this stuff. So it's, you know, Saudi Arabia would be a very foolish to get into a, 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 you know, a real fist fight with Iran. Saudi Arabia depends on the United States 
giving them cover and defending them. And Saudi Arabia would love it if the United States would go to war against Iran and it could hide behind America's you know, long jacket, if you will, but it doesn't want to get engaged directly, which is precisely why President Trump said when he was confronted with this escalating situation after the bombing of Abqaiq, he said, well, I'm going to talk to the Saudis and see what they want to do. And everybody screamed bloody hell, you know, murder and said, oh, America's turning over its foreign policy to the Saudis. But of course, America wasn't doing that. And he wasn't doing that. What he was doing is uh, hiding behind the Saudis and pushing them up front and saying, if you want war with Iran, you need to own it and take charge of it. And he knew probably pretty well that the Saudis would never do that because they'd lose. So what he was doing basically is finding a, a way to back out of this escalation, at least for the time being. In the same way that President Obama did in 2013 with the chemical weapons scare in Syria or, or use of chemical weapons in Syria, when Obama passed the buck to the US Congress and asked the Congress to vote on whether there should be a use of force. And he knew perfectly well that Republicans would shoot him down and try to handcuff him, which they did. And they, they didn't support use of force in Syria. And he, and he could turn to the world and sort of say, look, at my people don't want this. And of course, he got clobbered for it by the foreign policy elite that all wanted him to go to war in Syria, or many of them did. But he probably did the wise thing from a public policy point of view. And, um, and I think that Trump has done the same thing because, you know, everybody is worried about the world tipping into recession. If we get into a real tit for tat escalation with Iran, it means blowing up their oil refineries and they're going to hit more Saudi stuff because they're sitting ducks. And, and pretty soon oil prices will really go up. And then where will the economy be? It'll be in the doldrums and Trump will lose. And Trump doesn't want to lose. He wants to win. He's a winner. At least that's what he thinks. And uh, so I think Trump is making a smart move for himself and probably for the international economy by, um, by trying to, to stay out of this escalation. On the other hand, uh, I, I, I must say, I, I'm not optimistic because he put more sanctions on Iran, which could really lead to a humanitarian crisis in the country. And that's going to force escalation. Iran will have to hit more of those bloody refineries. And it's shown that it has the technology to do it. And so I don't see a way out of this yet. Uh, there could be some diplomacy, but we don't, you know, I don't have faith that Trump is a good diplomat. Uh, he says he's good at deal making, but that's not confirmed through the evidence. And he, his foreign policy team is running on fumes you know, he's fired Bolton. He's got some, they don't, the State Department is demoralized. Our diplomats are demoralized. We, we don't seem to be, have a well-greased foreign policy outfit at this point. The president isn't really paying attention. So I'm not sure how we get out of this. Yeah. So, you know, going back to your comment about Obama passing the buck when he, you know, made the decision, or he gave Congress the ability to make the decision about invading Syria or getting involved in Syria. It, it's interesting when you think about it in the context of what happened immediately after the attack on Upcake, because you had Pompeo coming out and saying, 
very explicitly this was Iran as though they were saying, you know, green light Saudi Arabia if you want to go out and strike. Um, you know, we sort of confirmed that or at least we believe that Iran was responsible, but Saudi Arabia didn't come out and explicitly, at least initially, didn't explicitly say that, yes, we do blame, you know, Iran is responsible and we're going to attack. It's as though their response has been extremely muted. And I guess it has been muted because they don't want to go to war. Yeah. They want America to go to war. Uh, they don't want to make the decision overtly, at least not publicly. Yeah. You know, I'm sure what they're saying to the Americans is very different than what they're saying in public because they don't want to have a big you know target on their forehead if there is escalation they don't want to hand iran an easy excuse to demonize saudi arabia and to send more missiles over there I iran in a sense is waiting for this kind of an escalation because they'll hit back i think and so saudi arabia you know, with its left hand is goosing America and saying, you know, go get them. Your prestige is hanging by a thread. Nobody's ever going to take you seriously. Your allies, blah, blah, blah. Um, you're the major hegemon in the Persian Gulf. That's the way it's been since World War II. And it's up to you. Uh, you know, everybody's going to laugh at you if you don't do it. And, and I think President Trump is saying, look, you guys have to pay for this and you have to get out in front. This is your country after all. And, and I'm sure that they can say, well, it's you know, illegal for the United States to attack a country that has not hurt the United States. Because after all, you know, our foreign policy is based on self-defense, that you can't just invade or attack other countries or bomb other countries unless you've been attacked first. And of course, Iran has not attacked the United States. They did attack Saudi Arabia, if in fact, all of the pieces fall together to prove that which, which they, they may do, but that's the problem. You know, so America can stand on that legal justification. Of course, a lot of people are saying, well, you, you can use the CIA or you can use covert force to attack the Iranians in a way that is deniable. And you just play the same Iranian game as you, you do it. And then you say, no, it wasn't me. And you can't prove this, which America could do, I suppose. But of course the whole world knows what's going on. And it would get us caught in a big problem of escalation. If you'd like to continue listening to this interview, you'll need to become a member. To become a member, just visit stockpodcast.com. Members have access to all full-length episodes, and depending on the membership that you purchase, you can even have access to the transcripts. So just go to the website, thestockpodcast.com, and click membership at the top. Also, if you really enjoyed the music, you should check out Danheim. That's D-A-N-H-E-I-M. Mike at Danheim gave me permission to use the music for the podcast, and so a huge thanks to Danheim. And with that, take care and good luck with your portfolio.